Yeah, it's really sad. And when we talk about educating the youth, a lot of people want us to go in schools and kind of teach prevention and, and, you know, drugs are bad. These are the dangers of opioids. But really, sometimes we have to go into schools and, and teach some harm reduction and teach youth how to, how to respond to an overdose because their parents are, are using. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. We're talking about the opioid epidemic. In this episode, we'll be discussing the origins of the opioid epidemic and where we're at now with this problem, both here in the state of Utah and throughout the nation. Part two of this conversation will take place next week as we talk about some of the solutions to the opioid epidemic. Joining us is Angela Stander Ito from the Utah Department of Health to give us some of her insights as she fights on the front lines of this epidemic. So Angela, welcome to Ununinformed. Hi, thanks for having me. So first, before we jump into opioids and things like that, just tell me what, what do you do at the Utah Department of Public Health? So I work in prevention, actually in the violence and injury prevention program. It's interesting in the opioid overdoses can considered a self-inflicted injury, so we fall within injury prevention along with automobile accident prevention, um, suicide and other things such as child safety, wearing helmets and such, and and right within there falls opioid prevention. So I work work for the health department, um, doing a number of preventative things for this epidemic, things such as educating doctors to prescribe less, public awareness, media campaigns, and then just overall um, health education for the state. Now, I know there's different injuries that are affecting America, affecting Utah, whether it's gun violence or opioids. Mm -hmm. It seems like opioids is on top of the list. Can you talk about that a little bit? It is. So it's the leading cause of injury death um, for adults in Utah. So that's more more people die from opioid overdoses than car accidents, motor vehicle crashes, and firearms put together. So we shouldn't be ignoring this. this no, is, no. And, and, and this seemed to just like creep up on this, like w- w- creep up on me. I didn't even know this was an issue. And all of a sudden we were talking about an opioid epidemic and uh, war on drugs. So in Utah, we, we've got a problem with opioids. How did we actually get here? What, what's the problem? Here? Yeah, let's back up to how we kind of got here as a nation. Um, it's sure. a nationwide problem. Um, and then Utah ranks in the top 10 for the past 10 years. Um, leading um, with the most opioid overdose deaths. Um, You'll hear a lot of numbers out there, maybe that we're seventh, fourth, fifth, all sorts of things in the nation. But the biggest thing to remember is that we've been been the top 10. And anytime we do drop down, it's usually not that we've improved greatly, but other states are starting to join the ranks um, with this issue. And so then going out... Back to bigger scale, as a nation, we we as a nation in America consume 80% of the world's opioid, um, prescription opioid medications, which is really interesting because wow. I wouldn't say we're necessarily in more pain than the rest of the world, world but we just, we use them a lot more. Um, we're getting addicted more and we're overdosing. Um, so kind of what you mentioned, how we got here, how we got here kind of as a society and um, back in the mid, mid-1990s, a drug was approved through the FDA called Oxycontin. Oh, um, I remember that. Yep. That was a big deal. Yep, Oxycontin was approved, um, um, considered to be safe, um, treatment of pain. Um, safe meaning it wasn't addictive, um, had had few potential risks, which was um, turned out to be completely wrong. Um, so an opioid um, 
let's get down to the root of it, literally comes from the opium plant. And, and when we talk about opioids, opiates and opioids, um, uh, your prescription pain medications are just synthetic opioids from the opium plant. That's the difference between the word opiate because mm-hmm. some people have mistakenly use them interchangeably. They're yes, not yes. Um, it's kind of, as long as you're getting the same thing, I mean, they're both equally harmful. One's just kind of the pure um, pure version of it, which is heroin, usually in black tar heroin or, or white powder heroin. And then your opioids are your synthetically, you know, man-made opioids. Yeah. You're basically your man-made heroin. Um, so going back in history, we, we've used um, opioids for, for morphine, for pain treatment for a long time. Um, Back in Vietnam, it was used a lot. Um, also, before before it started getting approved to be prescribed more often through the FDA, um, we usually saw it at end of life care, so hospice, um, cancer, cancer treatment, things such as that. Um, it was usually in a hospice or hospital setting. We never saw it really going home until, like I said, mid 1990s, started getting approved, starting getting some generic versions of oxycotton. So any any generic versions are oxycodone, hydrocodone. Other brand names started pop, popping up: Percocet, Vicodin, Lortab. Yep, those, those um, are the. That's the palette for painkillers. Yeah. Yep, yep, and and I like to to throw those names around a lot because we do know through focus groups that um, most Utahns know about opioids. Everyone's been talking about. They know that they're dangerous, but a lot of them don't know what your common opioids are, and they don't realize if they have them in their home or if that's what they're taking home from the pharmacy. Um, so yeah, like I said, we, we started prescribing those in the 1990s, um, and, and with very well-intended doctors. I mean, physicians are probably the, the profession with the, the most compassion and, and well-intended, right? So if they were told that, that this would help their, their pain patients and, and improve their lives, then of course they started prescribing it and, yeah. and pharmaceuticals companies hit them hard and encouraged them and incentivized them to prescribe more and more. And as we saw more, opioid prescriptions start to be prescribed, um, we we saw an increase in um, opioid dependence and addiction. Um, so we saw a lot of people getting addicted and then also people starting to overdose on opioids. So we saw that, that increase um, gain. And so from, from the years 2002 to 2014 in the state of Utah, we saw a 400% increase in opioid overdose deaths. So 2000, starting in 2002. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, so... It, I wouldn't say it's crept up on us, but I think it's just it's more in our face. We can't can't really look the other way now, but it's it's kind of happened over time. Start I guess the the point is that starting out just thinking it was a safe way to treat pain, but it really ended up being have more not. risk than benefits. Yeah, so much for the the promise of OxyContin mm-hmm. of uh, being a great alternative that's not addictive, right? Mm-hmm. That was the promise of yeah. it. So why is Utah unique in with our culture or whatever in our background? What why are we unique in the nation? Yeah, it's interesting. We've done a lot to try and try and identify that why that is. I mean, a lot of the higher other states are are back east, are kind of in um, rural Appalachia region. So we're kind of unique um, in that we're up there with them. We've we've done a lot to try and understand the perceptions of Utah. And I think that that's probably your answer is that in Utah, our perception. Um, of risk and the threat of addiction and overdose is kind of, we don't view it as, as really, um, that we're susceptible. It's easy when these are prescribed by, by a doctor, it's easy to perceive them as being safe. Rather than um, like a illicit, illicit yeah, drug. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. We have an issue in the state too. A lot, a lot of people don't view themselves that they, if they are addicted to pain medications are using them frequently, misusing them or abusing them are some other ways that people might say it but you know using them to get high to get that euphoric effect and 
and are addicted or constantly looking for it, people don't see that as the same as someone who's maybe shooting up heroin down at Pioneer Park right. or in Rio Grande. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it has the These same are just risks. people just living at home, having normal jobs. Mm-hmm. Important to understand, too. I mean, a lot of times people overdose even when they are using these as directed, using them appropriately. They just carry so many risks. So it's important for people to understand that these are risky substances. Um, and just in Utah, we, we we aren't getting that yet. We're not we're thinking they're they're safe. They're prescribed from doctors. We're, we're holding on to them too long. There's increased access in the homes. Because we're, we're holding on to them after surgery, we're usually prescribed way more than we need. Um, and that's increasing access for others to use them as well. Um, 75% of people who misuse or abuse opioids stated that they got them from a family member or a friend. So that just says how easily accessible they are in cupboards yeah. and things like that. So I reached out on Facebook and Twitter and kind of got people to ask the questions they've, they have about opioids uh, and the opioid epidemic. And I was quite surprised that a lot of people have a lot of questions about this. People are concerned about this. First question that I that I want to bring from uh, Facebook was from Colby Horton. He said, what is the root cause of the crisis? I know we talked about it a little bit, but he said, is it really doctors overprescribing? Is it non-compliance from the patients? Is it a misunderstanding of the effects of opioids? Yeah, how do you want to attack that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he said a lot of, he kind of answered a few things in there. Um, I like the part where he said, is it a misunderstanding of the effects of opioids, which I think I touched on a little bit before, is that people aren't understanding that these are risky substances. And a lot of times, um, doctors are really busy and they're not letting them know that, hey, there's there's a risk for, for addiction and overdose here. Um, and asking them if they're at higher risk, um, things that put people at higher risk for, for addiction and overdose are, are things like mental health um, issues, previous issues with substance abuse, um, if, if they drink alcohol, even, you know, moderately, um, it can mix and be a bad effect. So really, there's a misunderstanding of the effects, of the effects and there's also um, a lack of education on doctors and pharmacists part as well, a lot of times. Um, I wouldn't say that doctors, it's all their fault, though. We, we've kind of became a society that expects it. Um, we expect a pill for every ill. We expect to have yeah. zero pain. So I think um, if we don't meet the doctors halfway and if we start to tell them to prescribe less, they're going to have a lot of patient backlash. And there's always going to be that expectation that I leave I leave from getting my wisdom teeth out or knee replaced with with painkillers kill, and um, and I shouldn't be in pain that, during my recovery. But that's kind of not the case. Um, and we shouldn't be expecting it. So I would say that patients kind of kind of brought us into this as well and we can't blame it all on the doctors um, I, I guess when i have back problems people are always like oh yeah well why don't you uh just uh, get some medication prescribed i'm like well no no, no. i want to i want it to be like gone whether i feel it or not like i yeah. want my back to be good and yeah. people are like no just take a painkiller yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and that's difficult too because a lot of times people don't heal um, as as quickly too because they're kind of masking that pain and, and they're not healing as well as as if they were dealing with that pain and there's a lot of alternatives too we can talk about later for yeah, that sure. but also a lot of times we don't need as many as we're prescribed sometimes we're prescribed 30 or 60 pills for something that maybe you only need two or four to get you through the weekend um so it's interesting and it's interesting how how dangerous and tricky it is um, to to be taking these medications because there's something called physical dependency, um, yeah. and and that can take place um, in as little as seven days. So if you're prescribed a medication for 30 days and you start taking it 
um, for 30 days, I mean, you have an increased chance that you're going to become physically dependent on that. Uh-huh. And to help people understand dependency, I mean, you can relate it to something as small as, you know, people who love their Diet Coke or their Pepsi and, sure. or their or their Starbucks. And, and if they don't have it by three o'clock, you know, they, they have headaches. They're, you know, kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of jonesing and just, just really feeling feeling not awesome so so opioid addiction and dependence is a really scary thing because your body becomes dependent on these medications to not become sick anymore Um, and that happens accidentally a lot of times Um, people are just treating pain and then start to realize i kind of can't stop taking these Um, and that's where it leads into addiction a lot of times Uh, i've got another comment from somebody on facebook this is maddie anderson she said how did predatory marketing practices and misinformation about opioids by drug companies, A, influence thinking by physicians, B, make physicians less likely to diagnose and address opioid abuse, and C, influence opioid research. Now, you don't have to address all those, but I think she's trying to get it, kind of getting at, like, is this coming from drug reps? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I talk about the history, it really was. It was coming from some of those Oxycontin drug reps, and they, they were very detailed. They did something called pharmaceutical detailing, which really they... They knew who to target. They knew who was vulnerable. They knew who their higher prescribers were, and they, they made sure to incentivize and reward. And it really did start out that way. Luckily, we're, if people have seen in the news recently, a lot, of, a lot of counties and states are suing pharmaceutical and manufacturing companies, trying to compensate for, for the trouble that they did cause by marketing yeah. it so well. But I, I would say we're moving away from that to where physicians are, you know, know how to make their own decisions without being that, influenced. But that, it did start... I would say in the history that pharmaceutical promotion is what got us here. And, and is the physician being informed? Is that improving, you feel? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we're kind of combating that with, with education for them um, on what the effects really are. But, I mean, they're living in this world of an opioid epidemic, too, so they understand what what those pharmaceutical companies were preaching was wrong, and they, they see it now. Well, I, I kind of want to talk about how opioids affect society as a whole. Um, we on Facebook we have a uh, Jimmy Seeing. He asked, "Is the opioid epidemic affecting specific major groups across the U.S.? Are we noticing trends such as is it more common in middle class or upper class or even racial groups?" So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, and um, that's a great question. So it's interesting. We we do see not not a great difference between male to female. Um, we have a few mm. more um, overdose deaths from male, but we do see that it's affecting both genders and then also um, in our state specifically um, those affected the most are 25 to 64 year olds so it's a pretty big area there and usually about your 45 to 54 you're you're most affected um, as far as overdose Um, and it's interesting you know it's usually Caucasians white Caucasians are are highest affected by both addiction and overdose Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's it's all classes. It's kind of non-discriminatory um, as, as far as, as, soci- far as race? Soci- yeah. well, socioeconomic status um, right. and race as well. But Caucasians do kind of lead lead the way there. So it's interesting. I, I, um, a lot of times people don't realize. I mean, it's, a lot of times it is happening in their neighborhoods and down the street and such. And and people in middle class homes are are dealing with this. Um, there's a pharmacist who works for Harmons and his son's dealt with heroin addiction for a while since, since he was a teenager. And yeah. he, he's, I'm going to kind of steal his story cause it was pretty powerful, but he talked about how, how his, 
him and his wife grew up in West Valley. It kind of has a reputation, you know, and they, they joked that they grew in, grew up in West Valley all, all their lives. A little and, more inner city. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they joked that they, you know, they were there all their lives and all they ever got was, was one parking ticket. But they moved to kind of the more wealthy area of Sandy once he got his career started and such. And, and that's when um, SWAT came knocking on their door one time. Um, looking, you know, for their son because he'd been involved quite a bit in heroin. But uh-huh. I loved the way he kind of illustrated that. If if you guys can gather that from that story of, you know, from West Valley to Sandy, that you know they were never really exempt. They went when they became a higher upper to middle class family. That they were not immune to mm-hmm. it. Wow. Yeah. And- but that story illustrates a little bit. But it, it's it's hitting, you know, every all socioeconomic status. Now, how about rural versus urban? I, I've heard this is a rural problem. It is. Our, our highest hit areas in the state are um, an area down by Price, Carbon and Emory County, and okay. then also Weber County, specifically the area of Ogden City, and then Salt Lake County as well. So those are kind of your hardest hit. So two of those counties I've mentioned are very rural. So um, um, Carbon and Emory County, kind of down by a little town called helper and near moab yeah and price um, kind um, of very desolate i mean yeah, middle of nowhere places yep, i mean yep and they're they're losing you know more people per capita than than the state um so wow. they're they're hit really hard but but then we got salt lakes salt lake yeah, county and then, which then you is got the most, urban areas yeah, that the they're still urban hit. Area yeah in, in utah yeah yeah so this is non-discriminatory, I would say. This yeah, I know this issue. But but a little heavier in in rural then across the yeah. nation at least, or what do you think? Yeah, actually across the nation, you kind of get a lot of kind of um, economically depressed mining towns. Yeah, um, face this a lot. Um, areas where there's a lot of you know the, the revolving door of incarceration and getting released because a lot of them can only find jobs in these more rural areas. And yeah, so. Kind of a, a few different factors. I know. And then it, lack of resources, obviously. Yeah. Um, we're at a public library right now. There's there's probably, it just hits so close to home, like there's probably people here who are dealing with that or have it in their family as well to think about. You I know, mean, is the that pervasive? Well, yeah. Give me a percentage. It, it, I mean, as far as addicted, that's a that's a hard percentage to, to make. But we do know that as far as people are overdosing, we lose six Utahns a week. Wow. So... Now, here's an interesting comment from Facebook from uh, Julie Marie. Uh, she, she said how foster care facilities were seeing a dramatic increase from the opioid epidemic. And I, I, I'm like, oh, wait, is, this, is she making this up? But then I looked up some articles, and sure enough, this is a problem. Yeah, when you talk about the societal effects of this, I mean, it's affecting generations and generations. We found ex- specifically in Utah, but I assume this is the trend nationwide, but we have a lot more um, grandparents raising their grandchildren um, because their children are either, you know, deep in addiction and, and unable to care for their children or they've overdosed or they're incarcerated. Um, Wait, so you're saying the parents are the ones having the opioid mm-hmm. problem. They're being so taken you're, out you're of the home. So you're 25 to 60, 54 age group that yeah. I said was hardest hit. They're unable to raise their children, um, either just, you know, unable to because they're dealing with their addiction or they've been incarcerated or have overdosed. Um, and a lot of times these grandparents, um, probably your baby boomers would be the generation right now, are, that are, are raising, having, are raising their grandkids. Yep. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's huge. So that's probably what she's talking about, too. We're seeing foster care facilities and 
Yeah, it's really sad. And when we talk about educating the youth, a lot of people want us to go into schools and kind of teach prevention and, and, you know, drugs are bad. These are the dangers of opioids. But really, sometimes we have to go into schools and, and teach some harm reduction and teach youth how to how to respond to an overdose because their parents are, are using. Um, so that's kind of a sad reality, too, that we're having to equip um, youth with things such as naloxone, what we can talk more about, and helping them be able to respond to their parents um, if they overdose. Well, so how are we doing? Where are we at now in, in Utah or in the nation? Yeah, like I talked about, the past 10 years we've been in the top 10. Um, we continue to be, but where we're at now is, is we've seen for the first time um, in 2015, the first time in 10 years we saw a decrease in our opioid prescription opioid overdose deaths, um, a very slight decrease of 11%, um, which is promising. So we know that that less people are overdosing on on RX or medicate or prescribed opioids, but we do yeah. see an increase in, in illicit heroin overdose deaths. So we oh, know that okay. that is increasing. So we're still not out of the woods, but we're starting to see that hopefully, you know, the the, the medical community we're we're prescribing less and being more cautious there. Some things are getting better with the opioid epidemic, but it's still killing over six Utahns a day and causes more deaths than car accidents and gun deaths put together. So are there solutions? That's what we'll be covering in next week's episode. Here's a little preview. Yeah, so the opioid epidemic, it's, it's, it's kind of elusive and hard to have solutions and there's just so many aspects of it. Like, but there's w- hope too. <laughs> that, that's what I was getting to. What gives you hope? What, give, what should give the listeners hope? So join us next week where we talk about hope and some solutions to our opioid epidemic. Thanks for listening. If you're not listening to this on your podcast app, go and subscribe to Ununinformed wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is provided by DD Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Ununinformed. See you next week. Ununinformed.